the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're back, baby. After um, a very long and unscheduled (laughs) break. (laughs) I I Um, honestly don't remember doing the last one. It it hasn't been that long when you think about it, but it, it does feel like a bloody long time. Yeah, what even was the last one? Um... It was, so I don't know. I think it was. Maybe. We did. Um, we did the guard from underground and door, didn't we? Door, door one and door two. Um, yeah, I don't think we even got to Typhoon Club, so it must have been about two, three. My, my mom keeps on telling me like, when's the next one? When's the next one? And I said, I don't know. Just, just hold, hold on. I'll do it. We'll do it. <laughs> We've had. There's been lots of technical issues. It's been New Year, Christmas, all that sort of stuff. Just, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I love your mum so much. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to meet her properly one day because yeah, no, I've. I think I told you off mic. She she sends me little notes now when she sends me the check this. Uh, the last one, I think I've kept it somewhere. It's something like, hi, Ben, I just want to say how much I love the podcast and I love what you do with Adam. And uh, I always look forward to hearing the latest one. I was like, oh, bless your heart. Well, she's going to be happy now. She's been uh, shouted. What do they call it? A shout out? I'm so out, yeah, of, shout uh, out. out of touch of even speaking, uh, doing these bloody things, uh, to be honest. So I hope the rhythm gets back. Well, I never really had a good rhythm anyway, but uh, hopefully you can <laughs> co- cover cover it soon. I was going to, I should, I should ask her to put a review up on uh, Apple, Apple podcasts and Spotify for us. That's a good idea, actually. Uh, if she can do one thing, uh, she can do that. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I hate to do this straight out the gate, but yeah, if you're listening to us and you do like us, can you do that, please? <laughs> Just give us a five-star rating wherever you listen and uh, yeah, a few nice words. That would be really helpful. <laughs> I think the first episode we ever did, we ran a competition uh, to get reviews and lots of people wrote reviews. And uh, since then, we haven't and, and the reviews have trailed off. So yes, please, if you, if you don't mind. It's funny that anyone I know that works in the podcast game, they know how important that is, so they all do it. But I think general listeners don't realize, like, if you don't get a lot of reviews, then you just don't get put on any lists and people don't find you and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, it does help. Anyway, mm. it's nice to be back, man. It's really good to see you again. Yes, uh, Happy New Year. I guess, yeah, Happy New Year to you now. <laughs> uh, now it's almost February. Um, so, yeah, we did, we, we did uh, The Guard from Underground. We did door one and door two. And as you said, we didn't do Typhoon Club because a lot of stuff happened. Um, We've been really busy, lots of personal stuff in the background. Um, But I'm sure we'll get around to that. I think the only way around that is you're going to have to release another uh, Shinji Samai film at some point this year so we can talk about Typhoon Club, okay? Don't worry, it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was just just teasing. but yeah, what's what's been going on with Third Window Films then since we last spoke? Yeah, I mean, last year, as, as we're talking about with the director's company, uh, lots of classics, I guess. Uh, I focused a lot more on classics, mainly because I didn't really have, find any good new films that I wanted to release. And uh, that's always that has been the issue that's been dwindling over the past few years. And uh, last year, the only new release was Punk Samurai, which was already five years old or more, I believe. And now this year, starting off... Um, with some new films, uh, three new films, uh, and you know, it's I, I always wanted to do that. I always wanted to have like new and old films mixed. And in the past, it was mostly more new films than old films, and yet recently, it's become like 
90% old films. So uh, I hope this year can rectify that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I know like there's always an element of bias with this stuff because I tend to like pretty much everything you put out. But these first three this year are all absolute bangers, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, so it's going to be really fun to talk about them. Um, I guess you didn't get to see a whole heap of stuff that for you, because we normally do an end of year kind of top 10 film list. But as you said, you had so much going on. You didn't even have time to put one of those together, did you? Yeah, no, no I just didn't find 10 films that I liked, to be honest. Uh, so wow. I'm sure, yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, please... I know you've got a list. I don't even know what your deck because I, I, maybe you put it online or I didn't see it. So I'd, I'm, I'd like to know what your 10 best 10 were of the year, just so I can at least take that in my mind. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I think one of the things, so I, I was lucky enough to go to a couple of festivals again last year, uh, one of them being Fright Fest, um, which you had River playing there. Mm. Um, and the other one was the Cambridge Film Festival which always has a really good kind of East Asian um, submission section there too. Um, so number 10 for mine was um, My Mother's Eyes uh, by Takeshi Kushida. Um, have you seen this one yet? Yeah, yeah I saw it. Um, it was submitted to a festival that I worked at. So I saw a little on link. I'm sort of being a lot better on the big screen, but um, I really liked his last film, Woman of the Photographs, and I was sort of looking forward to it. But uh, it's all right. I think it, I didn't really like the first half so much, but then it goes properly mental in the second and uh yeah like, like i said i think on a big screen i might have had a little more impact than um you know my laptop for sure i mean again this is why festivals are so amazing in my opinion so i was waiting in the lobby um uh, jasper sharp and sarah appleton who who co-directed um the j horror virus um they were there and i was just waiting for them in the lobby and there was this guy standing next to me who had this amazing My Mother's Eyes t-shirt on. Um, it was completely black, but it had the, you know, the, the mother playing the cello and it's the daughter's body and it's like cutting through her from the poster. And I was basically like, man, that t-shirt is fucking awesome. Uh, did you buy that here? Where can I get it? And he goes, um, no, I made it. And I was like, you made it? He goes, yeah, I made the film. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, you're Takeshi Kashida. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, man, it's so good to meet you. And uh, so, yeah, he, I ended up watching the film next to him and um, we went for loads of beers afterwards. And he was just this really awesome guy who, I mean, like everyone that you've introduced me to that's made films, they're so humbled by anyone that likes their stuff. Um, and they're so happy to talk about the process and everything. And he was just amazing. And we've, we've kept in touch since. And, you know, he sent me my own version of the T-shirt uh, he sent me the soundtrack and stuff and we're going to keep in touch down the line and but yeah i mean it's not just in my list because i met him i genuinely think the film is awesome um again the woman in the photographs is probably the better film i think that that film was fire but um yeah it was amazing i love that one um number nine was mad cats which is what we're here to talk about today uh uh, yeah, I, anyone that's read my review online knows what I think about it. It was just, I mean, we're going to talk about it now, so there's no point in going into it too hard. But yeah, it's a fucking banger. Um, number eight was uh, Call Me Chihiro, which I think is uh, uh, Riki Imazumi. Uh, yeah, Imazumi, yeah. Imazumi. That was a Netflix film that came out really early in the year. Um, but I just thought it was gorgeous. Uh, it was like, 
it kind of had a, a, a kind of tampopo vibe in a little bit because it, it's kind of food porny, um, but also like melodrama and relation. It's just really slow, really quiet. And I love it. I've still only seen it the one time, but it, it really, really hit me. Mm. Did you like that one? No, to be honest, I really don't like Imaizumi. Right. Uh, and I used to, I liked it. I liked his first couple of films when I saw him, but that was probably about, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. And uh, and then I just really, really fell out of touch with it. But everyone's saying how how good that is, but I actually don't even have Netflix, so I don't know, wouldn't know how to watch it anyway. Um, right. But then again, I don't know. I really don't like him as a director, so I'm not going to force myself. Uh, I really need to have a lot more free time than I do now to uh, make an effort to watch it. Sure. I mean, I've not seen any more of his stuff. Uh, I haven't seeked out more since, so I don't know. But yeah, that was a really cool little surprise for me. And especially when Netflix puts something like that at the forefront of their platform, I really like that. You know, mm. more Japanese and Korean stuff on Netflix is always a win. Um, number seven was The Boy and the Heron, uh, the Miyazaki film. Uh, super fucking weird, like way, way, way weirder than I was expecting. Um, I got lost a few times in what the hell was going on. Um, there's loads of elements of all his other films. Like you see a lot of Spirited Away and, you know, Howl's Moving Castle and and all of that. But yeah. I think it's one that's going to grow on me too. Cause like the more I see of it, the more I'll understand what the hell's going on. Uh, but yeah, it's really cool. It's still cool. the big screen. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the last film we saw. I think it was just the day before New Year's Eve. We went to this absolutely packed out cinema screening. Um, and yeah, it, it was, I think it was sold out, but as we were leaving, all we could hear across the board from the whole audience is people going, what the hell was that all about? And <laughs> like, there was a lot of people that were confused, but yeah, it was great. Uh, number six was the first slam dunk by uh, Takahiko Inui. Uh, I know you're not an anime fan, but this anime is amazing. <laughs> it's basically like uh, just a high school basketball team, but it's all uh, uh, edited and animated, like almost like fight scenes in those insane, you know, uh, What's a good example? Like Dragon Slayer and stuff like that. Or Demon Slayer, not Dragon Slayer. Um, it's just really, really cool. And I left there kind of like with wide eyes because it was so kind of visceral. Um, it was one of my favorite experiences in the cinema last year. And I, I'm going to spend all my money on buying that when, uh, when it finally comes out. Hopefully all the anime do a good release of that. Well, it was a big, 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 big hit worldwide. And even like, I remember hearing about like one of the, I mean, I didn't see the film, so I can't really say, but I think one of the the, the scenes that was set, one of the settings of one of the scenes was in uh, Kamakura. And now it's like caused loads of loads of, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, pollution, tourist pollution, because all these people keep on going <laughs> to that spot in Kamakura to to take a photo behind where the, the backdrop of that scene is. So um, obviously, yeah, it's a worldwide success. Wow. Though. I, I've not seen it and I, and I won't. <laughs> and, I and I won't i honestly i it's it's surprising how because i'm not even that much of a basketball fan you know like i do like playing it with my friends in the summer but i don't like follow it or watch it or anything but it makes every single point of this game i mean the film's like two hours long and it goes into backstory and all this other stuff but like it's just insane it's just so good i cannot wait to see it again well, I'm not a bobsled um, fan, but I, but like I look cool running, so you know. <laughs> exactly. You if, if it's a good film, you know you, you like it, right? Like boxing as well. I don't really like boxing. I hate boxing actually, but I love 
or Rocky and all that. So. Sure. Yeah, but I think there's stuff you can do. If this was a live action film, it wouldn't be as amazing because the stuff that they can do with the animation is just astonishing. Um, okay, number five was River, which we'll be talking about next month. That's your your next big release. Uh, number four was Shin Kamen Rider, uh, the Hideaki Anno. Uh, any new Anno film is always going to be probably in my top five. And... I think Shin Ultraman was my favorite film of last year. Oh no, the year before that, mm. which obviously he didn't direct it entirely, but it's kind of his, all the Shin films are kind of his babies, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. But I think this one more than, more than any, I think he really, really, how was it? I think for like Ultraman, he gave it to, um, he didn't really co-direct so much in the way that they did Shin, Shin uh, Godzilla. He gave it to um, Higuchi, but uh with the Kamen Rider, it was a real baby of his, so it's it's yeah, it's pretty hardcore. I know. Yeah, it's so cool, and it reminded me a lot of what he did with Cutie Honey, um, but obviously just on a grander scale and with a different IP um, and more bloody and a lot less lot less pervy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just loved it. I've seen it twice now, and I just loved it so much both times. Um, and yeah, I hope that gets a good release here too, because I'd really like to have that on the shelf. Um, oh, I wonder, I th- no, isn't it? Didn't it Amazon or something like that? Or, or I, I believe did it not. If if so, maybe it won't be out on physical. But um, I thought Amazon. Put yeah, it out no, it's part. you can stream it on Prime here, but mm. yeah, it's just nice to own those things. Um, number three was um, Corriader's Monster, which I caught at the film festival, uh, the Cambridge Film Festival, um, and it's just gorgeous. Um, yeah, I. Coriander is one of my favorites. Um, it hit me even harder than I was expecting. He kind of plays a lot with um, our perceptions in this one, where you kind of get the, uh, you know, where you, you see something play out and then it goes back to the start and you see it play out from another angle, from another character's perspective, and it changes what you think. Um, but it's just really, really brilliant. If you haven't seen that one yet, I think you'll really, really like it. Yeah, I'm sure, but I don't think I'll see it, to be honest. <laughs> I love these chats. Um, <laughs> now, I've kind of got a joint first because both of them completely blew me away, but I'll do it in the order that I think deserves. So, number two was Godzilla minus one, the Takashi Yamazaki, his latest, which obviously has just done so well globally. Um, I can't believe that's the guy that did Returner, you know. Um, no, not 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 the guy who did return. The guy who did like a bunch of other shit. <laughs> I mean, loads of stuff, yeah. But like, this is such a step up in every single aspect. Um, it nailed the the Godzilla thing that they don't normally do, which is making it a human story. Like normally, the humans are the most annoying parts of those films and you just want to get back to the Godzilla stuff and there is an element of that you always want because the Godzilla stuff in this is so so amazing but um the human aspect of it is amazing too and you know I laughed a lot um I really enjoyed it and then I nearly bloody cried at one point uh it's 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 really really good and everyone I know who's seen it even those that have like not seen any other Godzilla stuff they're like giving it five stars so it's really broken through that's going to be one of those breakthrough hits that probably changes the needle a bit in terms of Japanese films getting released here in the UK I reckon 
Yeah, but you know, it's still Godzilla. It's still like Japan's like biggest IP uh, when it comes to uh, well, film. It, it, you know, it's, it's the one that everybody in the world seems to know about, whether they've seen that many or not. I mean, but you, but you're right. I mean, I, I really didn't like. I thought I'm not interested in Go- in Godzilla movies, and uh, I didn't like Shin Godzilla. And then a friend of mine, I asked a friend in Japan, like who really loves Godzilla. And I said, uh, "Have you seen it? Should I go watch it?" And he said, "Oh yeah, you really like it, or you you'll like it." And then I went to the sword in the IMAX here, and I, I thought it was yeah, I was quite surprised. Um, I'm yeah, I'm not a fan of Godzilla as I said, but um, I thought it was quite. It wasn't. It's not as good as I think everyone is, is saying, and it's not five <laughs> stars, and it's not, you know, uh, it's 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 like uh, pretty decent marvel movie or something like that it's you know it's entertaining but at the same time it's like it's a bit too long and it's uh, a bit too nationalistic and it's a bit too uh uh melodramatic and uh a bit cheesy at times but it's 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 entertaining enough it is very nationalistic i did see a few complaints about that um but again i don't yeah i don't know i don't judge a film too much on on those things if if the rest of it grabs me so well and this one really did. There's one really funny part, though. Uh, I don't want to spoil it in case anyone's not seen it, but where a character gets killed on screen <laughs> and then comes back later. And I was just laughing so hard. I was like, oh, man. And um, and everyone's overacting. I remember you telling me this quite early on when we started doing the podcast together, that like all these actors that we love, they just overact. You know, All of our favourites, they overact. And now when I see it, I always think of you because, yeah, they really do. <laughs> But for me, it was like comfort food, watching all these people just chewing up the scenery with their overacting. Um, yeah, yeah, television actors and, and boy band stars, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not proper actors, I guess. So, uh, I mean, obviously you've got Ando Sakura, like some, some more skilled actors maybe balancing it up, but the lead actor, for God's sake, I mean... Uh... <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um Okay, and then my number one, which again, I said is kind of equal with Godzilla, but it's so different and it really did hit me hard, was um, Evil Does Not Exist, the Ryosuke Hamaguchi film. Uh, I don't really know how to explain this film. It's so glacially slow. Uh, The opening is basically a guy chopping wood um, alone in the forest for about 10 minutes. And all you're doing, it's a static camera and you're just seeing a guy chopping wood and you're kind of like, what the hell is going on? Like what? And you you sink into it a bit. Sometimes it gets frustrating how slow it is, but ultimately what he does and the way he pulls it all together at the end, I was just left like, like my jaw was on the floor. Uh, I I think I prefer it to drive my car. Um, I think it's just an absolute masterpiece. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see it again. I haven't seen it, but for anybody who's listening who has seen it or does like him as a director, you should all know that uh, one of his biggest influences is Shinji Somai, and one of his best favorite films is uh, Typhoon Club. So uh, if you do like uh, his work and uh, haven't seen much work of Shinji Somai, then uh, there's a direct correlation there. In fact, he even uh, programmed Typhoon Club to play at the Berlin Film Festival last year, uh, his own special uh, program. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, of course, he's um... an amazing director, is it by himself, but, um, you know, just, just to sort of tie things up to, uh, to, to uh, third rate of films. Yeah. He, no, he, he, you had that as one of your extras, didn't you, on the Typhoon Club disc, him, his like introduction to it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he writes a lot about uh, Somai as well. And, and I guess a lot of those static shots as well, the long takes, uh, do have a lot of influence from Somai. But uh, that's for another pod, which we can talk about Somai later in the year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So that's my that's my top 10. I also really liked um, Lion Girl, the Karando Mitsutaki film. Do you know about that one? Oh, Lion Girl. Oh, I think yeah, it's yeah. Lion Girl. Yeah, I can't stand that film. But uh, maybe. I know, yeah, I know, I knew you'd hate it because you didn't like Maniac Driver either, did you? No, no, no. I mean, yeah, Lion Girl is insane, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and just off the list as well was Baby Assassins 2 because um, I think it kind of upped the game a lot in, in lots of respects to the first one, which I also loved. But yeah, I thought that was a great film. And part three is uh, in post production now, so it should be out later this year. For those I'm not surprised. That guy makes like three or four films a year. He's like <laughs> he Takashi Miike in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah, and also like, he came from like a pink pink film background, so he's, he's yeah, it's all about churning him out quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy. Um, was there any any films that you saw that are worth mentioning, or just gonna? I really liked the film Ichiko, uh, which I think the premiere was maybe at Tokyo Film Festivals so just about uh, three month, two three months ago. Uh, and that's a really, really fantastic film. But um, who knows when it will play? I'm about, uh, is it playing at um, Japan Foundation? I don't know. But Japan Foundation have a, have a few, uh, quite a good selection of films that are coming out, as they always do. And I think Hoarder and the Border is one they're playing, which I really like. And also, also Tsukamoto's Shadow of Fire. So, oh, uh, yes. Yeah, so that I'll have that out uh, later this year as well. So, um, yeah, the Japan Foundation, I think it starts... Uh, February the third or something like that. So um, yes, uh, if it's if you're in the UK and uh, hopefully you live in one of the twenty or thirty cities or so that is playing, uh, go check out what they have in store. Yeah, for sure. I need to, I need to speak to friend of the show James Balmont because he covers a lot of those films for days and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's always good to catch up with him. But yeah, he he tends to send me the ones. He's like, you should really check these ones out. And so yeah, I get my little list from him. He normally emails me first, saying which one should I check out. Uh, maybe that's it then. <laughs> <laughs> it's the circle of third window films. I love mm. it. Cool. Well, look, let's go on to um, the film we're going to talk about this month. Like I said, we'll get back to Typhoon Club at some point. We talk about Shinji Somai in uh, greater detail. But yeah, so this film, it's called Mad Cats. It's by a director called, is it uh, Riki Tsuno? Reiki, Reiki Tsuno. Reiki Tsuno. Um, and yeah, it is absolutely bonkers. It's one of those films that's like, could only be made in Japan, I think. There's no other way that like, this would get greenlit anywhere else. Well, I mean, greenlit, you could say, it's not like a studio has made it. It's super, super low budget, but... In fact, uh, the director himself lived overseas. He lived in, in Ireland for a while and then uh, lived in New York and even worked for Trauma Studios. So it's very much a an American sort of B-movie B that, that's just shot in Japan. And yet it does have that mixing in that Japanese sort of weirdness to it. it it's quite unique in that respect. Uh, it's not the type of film that you ever really see from Japan nowadays. Um, genre, fun, entertaining, 90 minutes film uh it's quite rare to see them so i think it's a really good mix of uh his japanese style and uh his influences from from america i mean yeah i 
I didn't get much American from it. Like the the premise itself is so random and obtuse. Um, the action is so well done uh, for such a small budget, especially. Um, and then obviously it's got this really weird kind of absurdist humor <laughs> that um, makes it really rewatchable. But um, well, actually, yeah, he he wanted to film it overseas and it obviously they didn't have the money for it. So what he did is if you watch the film, it's, it's really interesting. There's lots of, I mean, I, I spoke to him a lot about it, but uh, the film, he didn't want it to look like it was shot in Japan. When I first saw it, I thought like, Oh, where did you shoot it? Did you shoot it here? And then he's like, no, we shoot everything in Japan. But what he did is he didn't want it to look like Japan. So he only shot in places that don't look like Japan. And on top of that, they spent the, some of the small amount of money they had on post-production on removing any Japanese writing or, or from <laughs> streets, from signs, from like the parking lots anywhere, so that it doesn't look like at all that it is in Japan. Even like they shot a lot of stuff in in um in Yokosuka, which is like an army army base. Uh, it just cl- cl- quite close to Tokyo, and they have a lot of like because it's an army base, they have like diners and stuff like that. So they shot wow. like scenes like there's like a diner scene there in the movie. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. It's all, but it's all shot. It's all, all all done in Japan. And even there's a scene with it on a sand dunes, and that is in Totori, which is like quite quite uh, the other side near Hiroshima. But um, like you, it's it's really interesting that like they have this concept of like you know just shooting in places that don't look at all like the country you live in. That's so interesting because yeah, no, everything you said is like ringing ringing a bell. And it does have that kind of like post-apocalyptic feel at times almost, because again, like you said, like the kind of desert sand dune kind of atmosphere and yeah. Well, there's one thing that I really, really love is that there's a scene that they shot at the airport. And I I wonder if you, if if you know it when you look at it, but there's a, there's a scene that's just like in a car park and it's actually like just at the airport and it's a scene where they have like machine guns and all that. And I wonder how they could shoot like people walking around with guns, like literally next door to an airport. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they, they obviously got p- permission, but uh, and maybe if it's next to the airport, it's not airport property. But uh, you know, I think that that's the only thing. I was like, oh, look, it's like Narita Airport. You know, like uh, what? Why is there a scene here? Uh, it doesn't really fit in the film at all. But I guess the film is is full of that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's what I mean. It just seems to be so off the cuff and and random at times. I mean, I was trying to think about how you'd explain the story. And <laughs> it doesn't even explain itself too much. It's like this slacker guy who gets a random package one day that has a cassette in it. And on the cassette is this voice recording of this woman who basically says uh, his brother's been kidnapped by a cat cult. <laughs> and uh, he's got to kind of pull his, pull his shit together and save his brother. And in the process has to steal this box <laughs> from the cat cult. Um, and then, yeah, he kind of makes friend with this random homeless guy and they go on this kind of misadventure together, trying to escape this cat cult of, uh, of like killer, killer mutant cats. Um, yeah, I think if you read, if you watch it, you don't really realize what, what the film, what's what the, the the overall story of the film is. And I think I, I I watched it and then I read this, the, the synopsis from like the, the slam, slam dance film festival when it first been and it said that it was like. It's like, uh, yeah, the, these uh, cats, the mutant cats are out to kill pet shop owners. And when I was, I, was, oh, I didn't really get that from the film at all. But, I, but now that you mention it, like I sort of can see that, that, that there are a few scenes that explain that. But you wouldn't know it if, if did, somebody didn't tell you. 
Yeah, exactly. I was thinking about that, you know, like this is the sort of film that uh, you can't tell someone what it's like to watch it. Like they have to actually experience it for themselves because it's so out there. Um, And that's why it's in my top 10 of last year, because I think like any director that has the balls to go this fucking weird and not only that, but just give no real exposition and not really tell anyone what the hell is going on. uh, I I just respect it so much. I mean, it's it's nothing like a David Lynch film, but that's what I love about David Lynch is he never goes, I'm going to explain what's happening here. He's just like, look, you're going to see something weird and you either like it or you don't, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it is It is quite, it's more div- divisive than I, than I thought because when I read a lot, of, it's a lot of like one or five star reviews and, and a lot of people that review it say like, you love it, love it or hate it. And I never really got that feeling for it. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, the lack of story and the chaos of it, I think it's, it, it's balanced out by the fact that the film is really well made uh, mm-hmm. for a completely no-budget film. I mean, in fact, this film took three years to make it. Just the filming of it took one and a half years. Yeah, And basically, they would just shoot, like, they would raise enough money to shoot, like, a scene, and then they, they'd shoot that scene and then, like, go back to their normal jobs and start, like, raising money again. And then when they had enough money to shoot the next scene, they'd like shoot the next scene. So just filming it took like a year and a half. But because because like, you know, like for example, the lead actor, like he has like a certain hairstyle in the film and a certain look, like you can't, you, for him to keep on going back to other jobs in the meantime would like, would, <laughs> so like, I think like the director was like, oh, I'm really sorry for like the main actor because like he had this like yeah. strange hairstyle that he had to keep for like a year and a half. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable because it doesn't see, it doesn't, feel like a film that was shot over one and a half years and like only on you know like with like three month gaps in between at times uh it looks really really well um it's it's put together the post-production itself also took a year and a half because in the Mm. same way they like they ran out of money and they had to get money again to like add this the cgi here and there and but and also asking a lot of favors and doing it as cheaply as possible like the, the asking people that would have proper jobs doing cgi for larger movies to like in their downtime work on this film so their their downtime is maybe once every two months or so and uh uh, just piecing it all together in that way and costing like something like fifty thousand dollars which is like which is really really low and 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 yet coming up with a film that despite the fact that it if you think about it doesn't really make any sense you don't really think about it enough to 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 bring that point up uh because it flows so well you know, it's such so well smoothly edited. It's it's uh, it's ninety minutes and entertaining. The music's great. Like it's such a, a just a fun film. And I and I was really surprised when I hear people that, that don't like it. And I and maybe thinking in depth, you can realize why people might not. But I I can't see that at all. I just really love the film. No, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think I agree with absolutely everything you said there. And I think that uh, divisive films are the ones that people either love or hate, right? That's the, that's them by definition. And I think mm. some people just focus so much on story and characters, whereas I'm looking more at, like you said, the the, the vision, the the style, um, the acting, the performances in this are so much fun. Yeah, all of that. Look, this is probably a really good point to mention that I um I had a little interview uh, with the director just before this this recording just wanted to ask him a few questions to see like hear it from his perspective because he speaks a little bit of english and i'm quite proficient in chat gpt now <laughs> for like translating and stuff but yeah so one of the questions i asked him was um where did the idea come from for this insane story 
and uh, he said the original idea was quite different. It was something about men chased by women that belonged to a cult. That was it. Um, but as I was writing the first draft, I started to get bored. Then I came up with the idea of adding the cat element. I remembered that I always wanted to bring the issue of animal culling into my film, which I thought was a pretty interesting thing because you feel like a film called Mad Cats that's focused on a cat cult would probably be that's where you start and then you build the story around that. But it was actually the opposite. Like he just did a a, a pretty standard men chased by women film and then added the cats in at the at the end. That's kind of cool. And when you, I think a lot, some people were complaining uh, when reading the original the original synopsis. I was on complaints online because the synopsis said like these these people are chased by mutant cats. And if you have that in your mind and you watch the movie, they they're they're not they yeah. don't look like cats. I mean, you, they're just like there's a meow every every so often. And then there are some stories about like uh, backstories about them having nine lives and uh, catnip and all these other things. But yeah, it's it's not as uh, obvious. Uh, having all these cats, as, as uh, the, the synopsis might say so. But then again, I think the 13 cat assassins that are there are all super, super cool. They all have their, like, like individual uh, traits or skills. Uh, like, there's one uh, who I knew, actually, before, um, a girl called Reese Mori, and she, her entire livelihood is based on doing Bruce Lee copy videos, where her and her mum reenact scenes from Bruce Lee's movies. Right. And they're, um, they're really, really, really funny. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's basically she'll have, like, she, her and her mum. And they'll have a scene from... from she, if you watch, I think, if you type in, like, I don't know, Reese, Bruce Lee or something on YouTube, she has her own channel. And she'll you, on one corner, picture in picture, you'll see Bruce Lee movie. And then the the next, in the big in the big screen, it's, it's just her and her mum acting out loads of different parts from Bruce Lee movies and then her doing like all the Bruce Lee stuff and, and she could do nunchucks and all that as you see in Mad Cats but like she's like this like Bruce Lee impersonator and, and really really funny oh man that's so cool okay uh, I'm going to check that out after this and I'm going to add the link to that that channel in the description so anyone else can jump over and check that out um, the next question I asked him was what was the filming experience like the film looks and feels incredible for what I assume was a relatively low-budget production. It must have required a lot of planning. Um, he said, the filming of Mad Cats was so hard. We knew it was going to be very challenging, but we didn't want to make this film look cheap. One of the best things in making the film was that we could get to know the cinematographer Shintaro Teramoto really well. He's a very talented young guy who just loves making films. He and I went to the locations before the actual filming to talk about every single cut we wanted to do. Without him, we couldn't make it look as good as it did. Since we didn't have enough budget, every process of production was hard for cast and crew. It was cold, long waiting times behind the sets, hard training for the fight sequences, and so on and so on. I really thank everyone who joined this movie for following me until the end. Yeah, when you when he says cold, there, I mean, there's one scene in which uh, the three main characters are speaking around a bonfire, and apparently that was like like minus five degrees at the time. But because it wasn't set in winter, like they had to wear clothes that, that matched uh, the the setting of or the or the timeline of the film. I remember when, when we shot Low Life Love, it was it, we had a during the timeline of the movie, the scene was set for summer, but we shot it in like the winter, so like. Mm -hmm. The actor Shibukawa Kiyohiko is wearing like a t-shirt, but it's like, if you look at the people 
like the extras that are walking part of the extras, the um because we shot it on location in Shinjuku and people just walking around in like big chili puffer jackets and like <laughs> yeah. a t-shirt. But if you look closer, because it's like lips are blue. So <laughs> it, it, for the mad cats, like, yeah, like they are like really, really, really cold and have it. And there's one scene where one of the, the main actors tells like this story about like a, a cockroach or something like that. Uh, it's And it's like a really, really long story. So there's a lot of dialogue he has to say. And at the same time, he's just like, uh, he must be freezing his ass off. So, uh, and uh, <laughs> also in that location, like the nearest toilet was like back where their hotel was or something like that. So if anybody had to use a toilet, it was like a 20 minute car ride just to use the toilet. <laughs> what? So like, yeah, it was, uh, but I think they wanted that location because that location fit with the, with the movie. I, mean, I think he, you know, even though he's a debut film maker and and the cameraman you were just talking about as well i think like it was his first film or he's he's quite young and uh and not that established as a, as a cinematographer but they had their vision and it was like even though they had no money it's like we we have, want to do this this way so even it's going to be really really hard we're still going to do this this way and and um like it's going all the way to tottery which is like a like a 15 hour car ride and you know you could fly there but it's more expensive so they took like a car just to shoot the the sand dunes like a 15 hour car ride to do it and uh yeah it was and and all this you know done over three years and you never in those situations like it could be that like the film never even gets made you know and yet, yeah uh that's it was so true yeah project and uh i think if you know that it makes you enjoy the film a little more i hope that that does for sure i mean it makes me love it even more now thinking about that but yeah okay the uh the next question i asked was that the music plays a really important part in setting the mood of the film how do you go about putting such a fun and eclectic mix of tracks and artists together um and he said there are three artists involved the scores are composed by yuki hota who we found in application and Jim Shepard from the band called Amish Noise in the US. Um, and I used some of the songs from a band called Birthday Girl. Uh, Yuki was selected from those who applied to the application to find a composer. She's a friendly, kind and fun person, but the music she composes is extremely powerful and wonderful. I'll agree with that. Um, I met Jim when I used to work for Troma Entertainment about 10 years ago. I can't believe that, you know? Like, yeah, he said he was on the set of Return to Newcomb High. Uh, we played the villains together. I still remember that he gave me a CD of his band and told me that he wants to work for soundtracks for movies one day. It took me 10 years, but I'm happy that I could finally work with him. The music he creates is so unique, original and creative. Um, while shooting Mad Cats, I was already looking for a band that can let me use their songs for end credits. I sent a message to my friend in New York um, and asked if he knows any good bands. He introduced me to Birthday Girl they let us use four songs from their albums and the end credits song called Man Up, which the melody goes really good with Mad Cats. And yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 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 the score by Yuki Hota, you know, it does sound like an orchestra at times and, and it's really well mixed. I think, you know, there's a full 5.1 mix, which is quite rare actually for Japanese independent films because it's expensive. And even, even a lot of the, um, they, they, the, most of the dialogue was dubbed over after in a studio. So, um, you know, it wasn't recorded on location. No, it was obviously, but they, they, they dubbed it over in studios after and mixed it really well. So it's a super professional job and it does have that, that big action movie orchestra sound for a movie that was, that's, that's 
peanuts and and that the, that birthday girl to songs are really amazing i remember when the the trailer or the teaser trailer first the 30 seconds has one of their songs and i just used to like quite watch that trailer over over again because the song was so great and uh, i'd never heard of the band before but they're, they're fantastic yeah and again that's that's it like getting a band that probably no one's heard of before and putting them into this film it they become a part of the film in a big bad way like it's really part of the film's personality um so yeah i'm definitely going to check out their stuff um and you're right about the score as well like all of the ambiguity like i said of the story and all of that the the score kind of carries you along and lets you know how to feel in each of the scenes even though you might not know exactly what's going on um so yeah it's actually really masterfully done i think it all comes down to like this film was by a company called noad and Noah, but are mainly a commercial company, uh, make com- commercials for for television and such. So director was was Reiki was a is a is a commercial director, and the producer of the film uh, Urano, Daisuke Urano, is the um, owner of this company Noad. And this was their first project of making a film for the company, and it was basically done as a sort of like uh, for themselves, like not whether it makes money or not. Like they just wanted to do it to like because they just make commercials all the time and they wanted to make a film like just to showcase their their company so um i guess when you're commercial directors like you know people like katsuhito ishii and all that it's all about having a rhythm that's important and when you make for example trailers or commercials you start with music as the base uh you 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 really realize it i think nowadays a lot of trailers have become a little more obvious but um I think if you, especially if you watch A twenty four trailers nowadays, like they start off with like clapping or something like that, and the clapping yeah, sets sure. the, the rhythm, right? So when you make a trailer, you start off with a sound and then you match the video to it. But that's not how how movies by in, are usually made in Japan. That's why trailers are so shit as well, is because they try to <laughs> take the story or, or the and, and just and put it together in that way instead of making a rhythm through sound and um, and and editing. But when you're a commercial director, that's that's because you only have 30, something like thirty seconds, and you need, you can't tell a, a, a full story in thirty seconds. It's it's all about visual and sound. So, you know, I think despite having no money, they really were able to put something together that might seem like a long music video or a long commercial or, or a long trailer. But that's very entertaining, and it keeps a rhythm better than most uh, most Japanese films that just uh, go in exposition for too long. <laughs> yeah you're so right and it's actually it's that's quite similar as well to another film you've got releasing soon uh the one percenter um i thought that was quite similar in the fact that like it's almost like the way it's structured is like a song you know because it builds and and has peaks and waves and things like that and it's all really well edited and again it's quite like a meta weird action film as well so there's there's a few similarities there i think obviously he's much more established director though yeah, for sure, and I, I'm sure they had more of a, of a budget as well. But, but shooting action to that respect, in this case, I mean, Reiki was. I always ask him, like, you know, this was done with no money. But if you had more money, what would you do? And and he was always saying, like, I would have made the action scenes longer and better. And action mm. is obviously very expensive to to plan, to choreograph, and to film. So he was. That's the thing because I think a lot of people have said. Well, it's, it's an action, or it's it's marketed as maybe an action movie or an action comedy, but there's not that much action in it, and uh, and that really does come down to the lack of budget in the case of Mad Cats. Uh, if if he'd had more money, he would have made, especially the the, the fight scene at the end, which is quite a, a decent fight scene, but is quite short because of the the lack of of money. 
Yeah, but you see in the extras, you've got a really cool extra that shows the kind of um, the planning for the fight scenes, and it is it's it's awesome, and you can see that like it's a small crew, but they do so well with it. Yeah, I forgot um, the the action director is actually quite uh, well known, uh, but but his, his name isn't popping in my head at the moment. But uh, yeah, having a good choreographer that that, uh, but then you know it does still come down to rehearsal, money, and, and filming and all that. So for sure, and maybe in his next. Uh, if he does have more money, he will have money, more money to make a future because I think he's making one for a bigger company now. But uh, whether it'll be action well, or not, we'll see. Just you wait. That's what I get onto that. Um, we even talk about you a little bit. So I know you're hearing these answers for the first time too. Um, I, I said, uh, did you learn anything during the making of this film that you'll take into your next project? And he goes, Mad Cats was my feature debut. So I learned many things from the process. I'm obviously not very experienced, but I think I could learn how to behave as a director better on sets. Maybe I will be a bit more confident in front of my crew and cast in the next movie. And then he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it must be funny that, like, I always think that, like, I'm quite a confident guy in a lot of respects, but then having to command a whole crew to do something and there's money on the line and you've only got a certain amount of time and every decision lands on you, it must be, it must be fucking insane yeah he's he's also he's quite a shy guy he's a really big guy um physically mm-hmm. uh so i think but at the same time he's also super super shy so um like sometimes when i'm when i speak to him in person and then i speak to him like by my mail it's like speaking to a completely different person and i'm right like he's really enthusiastic on the mail and you got all these and then when i speak in person he's like really flat and it's like yeah, you know, but but I he I guess if you're that sort of person, it can be quite hard to direct. And also, if you have that physical, if you're like Schwarzenegger, but you're like really meek, it's it, that gap makes it quite hard to um for the way that people look at you. So uh, yeah, hopefully um he does uh, he feels more confident with the with the next film for sure. Then I asked him, what was it like working with Adam and Third Window Films releasing this film? Uh, and he put, without Adam, Mad Cats wasn't exposed to the world half as much as it could have been. I'm uh, sorry, as it would have been, <laughs> as it could have been. Um, uh, I got to know him because of Slam Dance, and I was so, so lucky to meet him there. I couldn't visit Leeds International Film Festival, but I hope there are people who liked it. In my opinion, British people have very good sense of humour, so I wonder how they reacted to the jokes in Mad Cats. I really thank Adam for making Mad Cats release overseas. He's a really good advisor and a good friend as well. Well, I'm 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 glad. I mean, what I'm happy is that uh, it right now it is playing in America on uh, on Midnight Pulp, and oh, cool. they bought it from from me. Cineverse is the name of their company. They're quite a ma- they're this massive massive company. Like the contracts are like pain in the ass, but um, they own like like the rights even to like Real Madrid football in America, like Elvis Presley. Uh, <laughs> so they're, they're like a re- but within that big company, they also run. Uh, VOD channels like um, uh, Midnight Pulp, uh, Asian Crush, obviously, which is one of the biggest uh, streaming platforms in the world for Asian cinema, and uh, Screenbox and all that. So they, I sold them the rights to to Mad Cats, and they were really good about promoting it. And obviously, you know, Third Window Films is like a really small company and has a very small reach. But when you have a company like that, it, even if it's just VOD the amount mm. of people that are subscribed to their channel and the amount of people that can watch a film like Mad Mad, Mad, Mad Cats just blows to the roof. So um, 
in that case, you know, I'm very happy that that it was able to get to a com- big company like that uh, that can get it to more people than I really could ever. That's amazing, though, because you've been yeah you you may be small, but you've been in the industry so long now. You know so many people, so yeah, the fact that he sees you as an advisor as well is really cool. And hopefully, hopefully bodes well that he doesn't get so big that he wants to leave you behind and go elsewhere for the next one. So. Well, it's all about the people around him and their decisions. <laughs> you know, in this case, yeah. because it was such a small film, because I, I didn't, I'm not distributing. I was also handling the world sales and the uh, festivals and all sort of for, for this film. So, like, yeah, uh, like with, the, I can only do that for small films where I can get in from the beginning and take a, and then work on behalf of the director and and they let me do what I want as well uh, in terms of handling the sales. So uh, I think his next films with the bigger studio. So I think probably not. Well, final question. Uh, do you have any other film ideas in the works? And if so, can you share anything about them? So they are all still in the planning and development stage, but there are three feature film projects that I've been working on. One of them is going to be a serious ghost horror with a little bit of a bizarre element in it. Actually, I just came home from the meeting with the producer to talk about the second draft of the strip today. I really hope this film is going to happen. (laughs) So, I mean, a serious ghost horror with a bizarre twist sounds like exactly my cup of tea. That's exactly my favourite sort of stuff. He's got super, I mean, he's quite quite rare. Most Japanese, in the 80s, obviously, there were loads of big fans of... uh... American genre films, but in, recently there haven't been that many. And he's really, really into American genre films, you know. I mean, obviously things like uh, Evil Dead and all that sort of stuff, but obviously, you know, he worked at Trauma. So he's trying to bring those influences to Japan. And, uh, you know, there have been people that have done that on low-budget scales. I mean, even if you uh, think, well, Iguchi is a bit different, but um, but like Ugana and films like Visitors, um but again, then again, Reiki, because he comes from that commercial background, he does have a lot. He makes better films. So if you can have his good influences and his his talent together, I think we can have some finally have some good genre films from Japan. Because when you think about it, there aren't really that many, and uh, especially these sort of like Mike type, you know, like uh, genres that mix loads of the mix films that mix loads of genres. Like Mike used to do really well, and uh, it's been rare nowadays. So. Uh, I hope uh, he can can continue. I really wanted to say that too. Like, if this film had been a Takashi Miike project and it had come out maybe, I don't know, like 20 years ago, uh, you know, like the early early 2000 boom, this would have been like a global, a global hit, I think. You know, it's um, it's funny now, like films like this have to rely on people like you to bring them to the forefront. Um, whereas maybe uh, you know back in the time, I mean, late nineties, early two thousands for me is like peak, peak cinema. <laughs> I don't know if that's just because that's the time that I was kind of coming of age. You know, I was about eighteen to twenty three of those times. Um, so everything I saw just felt like the best thing I'd ever seen in my life. But I yeah. think that, I think that I think peak cinema is uh, the seventies for sure. But uh, you know, yeah, that was when you were coming of age, though, wasn't it? but yeah no that was that was my little interview with him and uh i'm yeah i'm just such a fan i think he seems like such a nice guy and i know he's actually going to be listening to this so sorry uh 
sorry for blowing smoke up your ass for so long, mate. But, um, God knows if he has the time. I mean, I remember like he was writing his, he was telling me about the script that he's writing now, and it was like, I think like like a few days before it was the deadline, and he hadn't done any of it. I think because he's gotten a new child himself, and you and I know how hard that is. But at the same time, it, yeah. he has about a million jobs all stacked on top of each other. So it, I, I always feel so, so 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 sad that he's working these these crazy hours. Uh, but hopefully, it all changes you, soon. You say that, but you do, you did exactly the same thing. You got so much going on with your kids and everything, but you're still you know working long hours and doing all this stuff with their windows so i think you're just not you're not seeing the wood from the trees a bit you know and he and he loves it as well this is the other thing like he absolutely loves it and if you if you really love doing it then it's worth the worth the hassle well let's just hope he has some more successes i mean madcast like i said america and also in germany it was uh it was released too um so yeah it's pretty decent for a first time small small Film and hopefully, yeah, the third window films release uh, more people pick it up. Uh, hopefully, the bloody Amazon. I've had all these problems with Amazon recently. They put all my releases up as socks, and um, this is also, <laughs> yeah, they're a fucking a nice nightmare. And uh, this is being sold as a pair of Hilly's compression socks, but with good reviews socked. Uh, like, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good if it were badly reviewed socks. I mean, these are four, these are five star socks, but they're socks nonetheless. And uh, River is also up there as a pair of socks. And all my bloody new releases <laughs> are being put on Amazon as socks, and they can't change them. Uh, it's it's a, uh, a pain. What you, uh, I don't know what you mean. What like you didn't change no, anything? Look, you, just no, no, no. You, like you go to. Amazon UK and try to find Mad Cat's Blu-ray and you, you'll find a pair of socks. Just yesterday, the Mad Cat's Blu-ray image changed from the pair of socks to the Blu-ray image, but they're still listed as like Healy's men's compression socks and in the socks category uh, and the reviews of the socks. But um, uh, no, I've just I've just done it. It's uh, oh no, yeah, sorry. So it says DVD and it's a picture of the the Blu-ray. But yeah, Hilly's men's pulse compression socks. And but up until yesterday, they it was the compression socks image uh, uh, for, <laughs> for the last three. And and I just put up his motorbike car island, and that is also that that is an image of the socks, and is also listed as socks. And the river DVD is also uh, the images river DVD, but it's still the socks uh, listing. Um, and it's been like that for so I actually stopped putting titles onto Amazon because uh, they keep on getting put in the socks or Arrow stopped. Uh, it's, it seems to be a problem with Arrow for, uh, and, and Amazon. Uh, maybe because Arrow are owned by Amazon's rivals, uh, the Hard Group, uh, but I, I don't know. It's a bit, uh, it's annoying to say the least. God damn. Well, I hope you get that sorted. But yeah, okay, so if you're listening to this the day we dropped it, uh, which will be, God, what is the day? It'll be Monday the... 29th. 29th yes yeah so the film comes out today so head over to terracotta distribution to get your copy there i'll put the link in the description so you can literally just click it from your podcast app and you can pick it up there um and yeah that you know the more this sells the better this bodes well for you know more releases like this for madam because you know i guess you, you have to make a, a significant um sales figure for, for this to become viable in future right these sort of films well I, I do like to release the newer films as well I mean it's, it is I don't want to say it's easy but it's easier to 
release classic films because they're classics for a reason. Everybody knows of them, but it's it's very hard to release films that, that don't people don't know about. Um, so yes, uh, not just me, but any company like uh, you know if if uh, if people don't buy it and then they, they stop they focus on things that people will buy more and, and maybe because I'm such a small company and uh, I do so much in-house I can continue to doing these sort of things but uh, I do really like the film uh, you know I know it's, it's it seems to be a bit of a love and hate film but I really really love it so um, I do hope that if, if people don't want to buy the blu-ray it will be available to uh, rent or buy on uh, iTunes and, and Amazon and, and all those digital ways it's, it's uh, you know we can't all I, we can't all buy physical and like you know people don't sometimes don't have the big enough houses or they don't have the, the money so you can rent it digitally and if you really really like it after renting it you can buy the blu-ray because the blu-ray has loads of great bonus features um great interview with the director really good audio commentary uh some good fight sequence rehearsal footage so it's a an, it's a it's a nice package uh, uh if you don't mind <laughs> well said very well said Awesome. Well, uh, let us know what you think about the film. Um, I'll put a post up about this podcast episode and just reply there. Let us know because we'd love to hear your feedback. And yeah, I think so. We're not going to be leaving you another two months now. I think we're going to be probably back in about two weeks, aren't we? With um, with the release of River. When's that? Yes, the release date that, for that? that so that's, early, uh, February. Yeah, February the twelfth. So uh, very soon. Perfect. So we'll be back for that one. Um, with lots more behind the scenes stuff and I'll try and get a um a few questions in with Yunti Yamaguchi as well if I can. Although I know he's <laughs> he's insanely busy too. So that'd be tough. Kids too. Kids too. Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo, yes. All right. Well thank you again for listening. That was awesome. Uh follow Adam on Twitter or X or everyone to call it as at third window. Follow me on Twitter or Letterboxd as at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelt with a Y. And yeah, we'll catch you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right. The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shape pulled down That's the one where I do 